Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to another episode of Backspin, brought to you by Inside Golf Magazine, Australia's number one most read golfing publication. I'm Larry Canning. With me in the studio is Gary Barter. Hello, Gaz. How are you, mate? How are you? Good. Big show, mate. This is the post-masters pre-live golf in Adelaide episode of Backspin. Very Special one. A lot to talk about. No one knows more about live golf than Matt Jones two-time Australian Open champion, your charge, your pupil, um, for, a, God, how many years, guys? Mm, since he was 15, he's 42. Okay. So you can do the math. Ends in seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a remarkable relationship because we know how fickle golf coaching is. Oh, God, no, you know that more than anyone. So we'll be talking to Matt about uh, what's coming up in Adelaide. We'll be talking to Matt also about what his thoughts on the Masters and how it panned out with the live players running second, third and fourth behind John Rahm. Grace Kim has just won in America. That's uh, that's worthy of a conversation, mm. Gaz. She she's is a, a lovely player. kid. What a great kid, though. Oh, she's a great player, too. He's a lot better player than, than I... Well, not that I thought. I always knew she was good, but the way she handled it down the stretch, that was something special. I'm going to be reviewing a wedge, Gaz, the new Cleveland RTX 6 wedge, which repels water. There's quite an issue about how water on the face of a golf club, particularly a wedge, affects the spin and, the, and how far the ball goes, how far it goes in the air. Does it slide up the face? Does it not? And for everyone, not just the tour players. So Cleveland have come up with an answer to how to repel water from the face. It's also wedges are often considered um, a blade club and, and, and difficult to use. We know that for the majority of players that play the game have difficulty playing golf generally, so that they maybe they need a wedge that can help them, not so much the blade type, which we'll talk about as well. You've got a tip, guys, fairway bunkers. Mm. It's one of the most overlooked things in the game. There's a spin-off from that, I know, Gary, one of your tips. Uh, one of the ways you coach some of your better players is you take them into a fairway bunker, don't you, and remind them it has, of the strike. Yeah, it has, it has a lot of benefits. Do we have a gripe, guys? Um, I don't think I've got a gripe. I think I've got more of a uh, the bonus of seeing those lift players play so well in a major and looking forward to the next three majors coming up, given that everyone's going to be playing the best field in the game. So there's definitely a, uh, an issue to be talked about there. There's there's um, a lot of talk about world rankings. We'll get to that a bit with the live golfers and, and how they can remain and how they can continue to be eligible to play in major championship. We'll have a chat about that. All this and more goes right after this. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. Matt Jones, welcome to Backspin. Thank you for being part of the show. Gary and Larry, we're on the eve of Live Golf's first venture to Australia. We're very interested in your view on what to expect in Adelaide, what uh, the punters will be looking forward to, and what you're looking for in Adelaide. Uh, I think the punters are going to have a, uh, a different experience than they've had in a golf tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun activities for them to do, especially for kids. It's going to be music playing, it's going to be loud, and it's going to be fun, and everyone's going to enjoy themselves. It's going to be great to have the quality of players that probably Australia golf tournament hasn't had this depth ever, if, if ever. I mean, I'm sure it was great when Jack and Greg and those were back here, but I think the depth they have for this event in Adelaide is going to be uh, hard to beat over the years. So, Matty, um, how's your game at the moment? Yeah, not bad. Doing a little bit of work, trying to get it back to the level I want it to be at. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's close. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down there and, uh, and playing the Grange. Have you played the Grange before, Matt? I did in 97 for an Aussie amateur, but I couldn't tell you one hole. I, would, I can't remember it at all. Yeah, I think it's actually been redesigned since then by Greg Norman. I think the, the course you're playing is, uh, is, a, is a reasonably new layout, so it'll be interesting to see how the players play it. I believe it's a, it's a lot tighter in the east and west, so you're playing... Playing a combination of both. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, so there's, I don't know if it's 12 from one and 6 from the other or what it is, but okay. yeah, there's a, there's a combination of holes from both courses. Right. So, Matty, with the live event, just to sort of help us understand, with Wade Ormsby, he's, he's your reserve this week. What's his role this week? He, what, what does Wade do? He is a league reserve. He's not our team reserve. He's a okay. league reserve this week. So he's uh, he'll be on site. And if there should be three reserves on site. And if uh, if a player gets injured or can't play, then let's say it was Smash GCs, one of their players can't play. Um, they have the choice of three of the uh, reserves on site. So it could be Andy Ogletree, Turk Pettit, and probably Wade Ormsby this week. So... If someone can't go, the captain will have a choice of those three to go. Captain being Cameron's, in your case, Cam, Cameron's with yeah, you. Yeah, okay. Yes, 
Yes, could be Cam if it was in our teams. Speaking of Cam, Matt, have you have you been practicing? Have you have you seen him play recently? Do how, how is his form? The last time I played with him, or saw him, was in Orlando. We don't bother him during other tournaments. I know he's very busy and just has a lot of stuff going on during majors. So. It's been uh, very quiet on our front between the boys, but um, I saw him in Orlando and his game's good. I expect him to be uh, very close to the lead uh, this week in Adelaide. So Adelaide, do you think it'll do you think it'll suit our team, the Rippers? Is it that that sort of golf course? Is it going to be a fast golf course, like a classic sort of Australian setup? I would assume so. I would assume it's going to be runoffs and typical golf course that Jed, Cam, myself, and Leash would. Um, have a, a good understanding of how to play it. So I'd expect the boys to be able to play well and do well, and hopefully uh, the Rippers can get the first team win, which would be pretty big uh, here in Australia. It'll be massive in Australia. And it, it has that feel for me. It has that vibe, I think, Australia is, is going to win. And I think an Australian is going to win this tournament. It's just I, I, I can sort of – I'm sensing it, Gaz. It's coming. Mate, it'd be so good. Wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be so I mean, good. It doesn't necessarily need it, but what a bonus that would be if – if Matt Jones won. Oh, it'd be amazing. I, I think it'd be better if, it, well, of course we want an individual win, but a team win would be, uh, yeah, I yep. think it'd be that much better. And the team aspect, uh, and this, this is something that we're just not used to. Uh, the world of golf, the golfing fans around the world haven't, uh, and we're, we're seeing it with Live Golf. Um, we're trying to get a bit of a vibe, a bit of a, a bit of a feel for the team aspect, and it's. I think I believe this year, Matt Live Golf have made a real point of pushing the team aspect of it more than maybe last year. Yeah, last year was just a, a trial year. Uh, this year, you've definitely got your twelve team set, um, and there's definitely a, a team feel when you're out there with the boys and you're playing and you're in the locker room, and um, we're all helping each other more so than you would at a regular event. There's a lot more conversations about certain shots, certain ways to play holes, like what the break does on a green, how would you play the shot out of this type of grass because there's different grasses everywhere we play. So there's definitely a, uh, a camaraderie out there that you wouldn't have had on other tours. So do you, do you guys get together like pre-tournament? I know you all get together, have dinner and hang out, but do you get together and sit down and sort of workshop about how to play the golf course, what you think of it. There wouldn't be like a team meeting like that. It'd be just a conversation we have over dinner because we typically, at most events, we have a breakfast and dinner together and then we'll just talk about it there. But there would be no, no. Set, sit down and plan something or a strategy or, I no. mean, we all play, play we all play golf differently and see golf courses differently. What are your thoughts on the Masters? I, th- I think the Live players did really, really well. Like clearly, clearly Mickelson, Kepka second and third, that, that would definitely buoy the uh, the confidence of those guys coming down to Australia as well. They'll be definitely full of confidence coming down here and it was a it was a great effort by all the guys. I think 12 out of the 18 made the cut. Difficult thing going forward is that we, the live players are going to have less and less in every major so then they're going to be criticised mm. if three guys make the cut out of the next eight because there's a lot of guys that won't be in the uh, PGA and then it will be less at the US Open. So, yes, the Masters was great, but uh, I hope they can keep doing it in every other major. Phil Mickelson, Matt. I mean, what? How does that happen? How does he do that stuff? I mean, if you play, you played with him a bit. I mean, you would you'd have seen him um, up close. He still obviously can play, but how does he just bob up and and shoot sixty five with Augusta in the last yeah. major and run second? It just seems incredible. Yeah, there's definitely a horses for courses. That's definitely real, and it's one of the golf courses that he can just walk up no matter how he's playing. I think he's going to play well. I played there in 2015, I think, with Sandy Lyle, and he hit it everywhere, but he hit in the wrong spots, and I think he nearly made the cut. I mean, you just miss yeah. it in certain spots, and you know how to get up and down from those spots when the other guys are just going at pins, and if you go at a pin there and you'll miss it, you're 40 foot away or you're in the, definitely in the wrong spot. But you played with Phil, didn't you, in Tucson when you finished... I think you finished fifth or sixth in Tucson, two live events in a row. And was there any signs there that you thought he'd go and play like that, or is it just a horses for courses thing? I don't think there were many signs there. He did hit some good iron shots, and his driver was rather poor, and his three-wood was rather poor. But, uh, I mean, he still hit some decent iron shots, and you can always chip and putt, I would think. So it was somewhat surprising for me, but when you look at someone like Fred Couples, he makes the cut there, and Bernhard Langer, so it's definitely a horses course this place. He does cop a lot doesn't he Mickelson? I mean he's loved or hated, you know, a lot of the players have found a bit aloof uh, the fans love him. You know, it, this is such a, what's the term? It's not Mystique about him. Yeah no, the um, 
I'm going to say say bipolar, but it's not bipolar. (laughs) He divides. He's divisive. Matt, your association with Phil, you you must know him reasonably well. How do you find him, mate? Is he a good guy? I've always got along with Phil. I've never had any issues, and um, he's always been nice to me. Uh, We haven't had that much to do with each other over the years. We went in the same college, but even when I came out of college, there was not much to do with each other. But he's been nothing but good with me when we've spoken. He's helpful. If you have a question, he'll always try and help you out. I've never had any issues with Phil, and I think the media's made things out mm. to be much bigger than they really are with what he's done, because a lot of what he's said has happened and come true. With the game of golf, it's an interesting sport where in like a head-to-head sport, a combative sport, like a rugby league or tennis, there's that face-to-face aggression, that competitiveness. And with golf, even though you guys are on the tee and you're not running into each other, you've still got that, you're all there because you're very competitive you want to win, you want to beat the other guy. So there's probably, it's understandable, there's not a lot of room for patting on the back of shoulders all the way around. You know what I mean? It's it's still, a, it's still a sport where you're out there to do your job and you're all competitive individuals. And and obviously Phil, when he's in that place too, he it's he, he does what he needs to do and he's focused in that in that way. So it may it may come across too that he's you know, not as not as compliant to others. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think with age has come less of that too. You look at Tiger, he helps out a lot of players now when Tiger would have never done that back in the day. He wouldn't even to anyone and try and give them advice. So nowadays Tiger's always out there helping the younger kids and I think feels the same way now. Uh, I think one good thing that did come out of the Masters is that there's, always, there's this consistent press feedback about you guys not getting enough competitive golf. And the tournaments don't really inspire you to sort of, um, you know, play as hard as you would play because you're already, you know, you're getting paid whether you, there's no cuts, the fields are similar, the camaraderie is good, but it, it breeds more of a relaxed atmosphere. And I think the, the Masters proved that you guys can come over there and still compete and be as good, if not better, than, than the current players on all the other tours. I think that's a misconception that we just go out there and play golf and we don't really try. Uh, yeah. I was talking about it with someone. I was like, because I don't really see the individual scores out there. I might be three over or four over and that could be helping the team out. So Birdie could help the team out. Whereas on the PGA Tour, sometimes you're like three or four over and I look at the cut and the cut's two under. You're like, well, I've got mm. no chance mm. here. So mm. just do whatever. Out there, there's a lot more grinding, I find. Yeah, and what I find interesting too with if you if you went and had a money game with Cam and and Leash and Jed, and you're playing for fifty bucks, you you still enjoy winning that money off them, don't you? Like you still, oh, yeah. yeah. It's not like you go like it's so real realistically the competitive side of it and the wanting to do well. It wouldn't even matter if you're not playing for anything. It's just the way you all are. We've been trained at that since we were hell young. That doesn't go away once you start playing golf on a different tour. You're exactly. Always competitive. It's, it's been bred into us for the last 20 years. Matt, what's your take on what's happened in um, the, on the DP World Tour in terms of the arbitration that's been handed out there and, and, and the, how that will affect the European Tour, for one, and Live Golf? I know the European Tour won the case. I'm not sure if they would have really wanted to win the case, but they did. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I don't know. I, someone, I saw an article or something where Keith Pelly was trying to figure out a way to try and still let them play, which mm. doesn't make any sense if that really happened. I don't know if... That was a headline. I don't know if that was really what was going on, but you would think that they would want Westwood and Poulter and those guys playing because it only helps their field. Mm. Otherwise, I mean, they're going to they're struggle, I would think, in the coming years. This is the DP world? Yes. Have you had much to do with it, Matt? Did you play much in Europe? No, I only ever played a couple of Scottish Opens, I think. I'd never had a chance. I would have loved to have played more in Europe, but I just never had a chance. If it comes to the point where live players can't play in the DP world too, and, and, and as you said, it's, we're still not sure what the ramifications of this court case are going to be, that would mean that you, two-time Australian Open champion, may not be able to play your own Australian Open. I don't think that would come to it because I think that would be classified as my home golf course. It's a, co- it's a home home tour. It's co-sanctioned with the European oh, tour. I see. So okay. I'm sure they're conversations they'd be having. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. we'll see what comes. But yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. But that was never something that entered my mind. I've never been on an European tour. So we'll see. You don't hold a European tour card, though, do you? Like, it's not like no. Yeah. Okay, so that might be a different gig. But there, there is talk of guys like uh, Stenson being able to play at home in Sweden because that, that's a big you know, big bonus for that golf tournament. And there's an actual tournament that... Or came of playing... Germany. Yeah, yeah. Ca- yeah, exactly. Came of playing Germany. Which would yeah. make sense because that's their home tour. Yeah. So... But that tournament's going to suffer if those guys can't play in it, isn't it? I mean, that. Oh, yeah. 
they're all, they're all going to suffer. I mean, there's going to be a lot of tournaments that suffer, and sponsors aren't going to want to pay up that yep. money for, to not be able to have those players in the field. Any word on the world rankings, Matt? Have you heard anything down the line? I have not heard one thing. Oh, you would, wow. know, you would know as much as me. Oh, fair dinkum. Okay. I was hoping you were just going to make something up, even if you hadn't. <laughs> no, no, not, a, not, a, not a thought. Not a nice, no idea. Okay. I heard, Matt, there were multiple interviews with the Live players during the Masters, like pre-tournament, and I thought they all handled themselves very well. They, obviously, there were a lot of leading questions trying to sort of take them down different rabbit holes. But one one thing that was great that Brooks said, he said, look, you know, we all enjoyed coming here. We have a lot of friends here. Uh, we all want to play golf and the best players in the world are all coming together to play a golf tournament and that's got to win out in the end. In the end, the egos and the different tours, ultimately what everyone's crying out for is that the best players in the world all get to play in the one environment. That's something that, because the game is bigger than all individual institutions and different organisations ultimately, isn't it? It is. I think all the majors have the power right now. They can decide if they want to give the top eight on the live tour uh, exemptions into all the majors next year. If you finish top eight mm. in the money list. That's a great solution. Yeah, that is a great solution, actually. Yeah. Um, Why didn't we think about the, that, Larry? I did, but I just didn't say The award ranking system, if we got points right now, it's not going to make a difference. We're not going to be able to make enough points to get into majors anyway. Mm. So it's just like us if we went and played every Asian tour event nah. if you won the next 10 you're still not getting in a major yeah, okay, because you okay. can't make enough points so that's a really a moot point right now the live tour getting more ranking points unless they can backdate it somehow I'm stunned by that idea Matt, Matt, you, you, Matt you, you, no, you've just come up with the solution <laughs> that's it what's the next, <laughs> the next step Matt will be running the United Nations I mean well, NATO I mean Brooks is only exempting to all the majors next year and then he's done so you'll only ever see him at the oh, I guess the Open Champions at the US Open and the PGA well DJ DJ, DJ's, DJ's gone, done they've all gone out outside year. the top 50 haven't they yeah, I think, yes, DJ's Masters win he might have next year and then you you won't see him in another major. Um, maybe the US Open. Patrick Reed runs out this year, Matt. This is, this yeah, is he's, yeah. He's always in the Masters. But he yeah, no, but the, the other three. Yeah, yep, so you're going to miss it. And he's, he's, what is he in the world? He'd be like the 50th now, so he's definitely still a top 50 player in the world, but oh, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, Matty, Bryson DeChambeau, you and I have seen him grind a lot on the range. We've seen him, he works so hard, doesn't he? Like it, it's incredible how hard he works, but I was following him at the Masters and I just thought, gee, he's definitely got to figure something out. There's noted about it, there's something there that shifted with him, whether it was that massive body change and trying to go back or... But golf's a fickle game, isn't it? It is, and he went down a path of trying to get as much speed as possible and that probably affected his golf swing and he probably selected wrong areas to try and gain speed and his golf game has not been the same since really we've come back from the uh, pandemic yeah. when he came back a lot bigger and a lot faster. It's an amazing sport how people can slide away. So Gary you're saying he's still practicing as hard as he ever has? Larry I can't tell you how hard the is guy that works. Right? Yeah like it's like Matt and I grind a lot like we're probably right up there with after rounds and you know working hard he's the last one there isn't he Matt? He'll stay there until they tell him to kick him off <laughs> if he's got something to work on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so hopefully hard work will win out. But yeah, we, we need him to play well. Yeah. He's, defi- he's, a, he's definitely a, a fan favourite and someone that people come to watch. And not just because he hits it one million miles, because he's a, just a gun. I mean, when, yeah, he, Matt, when he's at his best, he's well, not, not many better. Well, Matt and I were watching him in Hawaii the year, I think, that you finished third a couple of years ago. Oh, when, you, when he only shot 30. 29 under or 30 under. And we were talking about his putting, weren't we? Like, and mm. you, you, you played a practice round with him and you just said yeah. it was phenomenal, didn't you? And Yeah. That was at the time where you guys could have the books as well. Yeah, he's had an issue ever since they took away all those uh, okay. green reading devices. Yeah, so when you had the exactness of the degrees of the break and with him being so precise with his and so organised with the way he putted the ball, now there's that mystery of... The break and maybe maybe because there's no he's not putting as well just statistically I don't believe so you never know that maybe like a little hidden area too that, that he's battling with. It brings up the point where you know when they stopped anchored putting when they banned the anchor those guys that it affected the most grew up with that when they change a rule they're not just giving them another option to putt that was their way of putting since they were kids when they take that away you've got to you've got to well, rediscover yeah, I think one of good one of Matt's good mates 
Tim Clark, he struggled, didn't he, Matt, oh, when they... yeah. Did he just stop playing golf pretty much then? Yeah, he knew he was done. He has some kind of condition or, or almost a disability or something, Matt, doesn't he, where he cannot putt with a normal length putter, like physically can't do it? Yeah, uh, he has an elbow thing where he can't fold them a certain way. I'm not sure, but I know he's tried to putt with small putters and he just couldn't do it. When they stopped the anchoring, that was it for him, wasn't it? I mean, he had a lot of back issues, but yeah, he was the one that was really going to be affected by it. He was lecturing. He and Carl Peterson were probably the two. Okay, oh, well, he's, yeah, he's yeah, a great okay. player too. Yeah. Wow. Look, Matt, it's been fantastic having you. Thank you for being on the show. Gary and I will be down there right beside you at the Grange. Looking forward to the the Ripper Golf Club hoisting the trophy at the end of the week. Again, thanks for being on the show, mate. Thanks, no worries, mate. mate. Thanks for having me. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. The 223 Masters, guys. John Rahm. Some would consider, even though he wasn't the world number one player going into the tournament, that he is the best player in the world at the moment. Your thoughts on John Rahm, and then we'll get to the actual Masters. Rahm, I think, when you look at him, his game is just suited for Augusta. Clearly, he can win. He seemed very determined that week. He seemed very focused. He got the rough side of the draw. He looked in control. He That last round, there was something about you could look into his eyes and he, he just looked like he was going to win that golf tournament. A lot of history. Spaniards, very emotional. On the anniversary of Seve's win. And he just, uh, to me, played very smart, very clean round of golf. And he showed everybody his class, really. He was helped, right? He was helped by, by Brooks and uh, and Victor Hovland. I think the two nearest pursuers both shot 75, 74 each or something like that. Yeah, Brooks looked uh, a bit to me like Norman looked in that final round with Faldo. He looked like he was just trying a bit too hard. Victor, like the last round at St Andrews, mm. probably trying a bit too hard. They're big, big occasions. They're the biggest events. It's where those guys get measured at the highest level. Victor, in time, will do it. There's no doubt about it, whether it's the Masters, but he's he's clearly right there. Brooks struggled in the third round ball striking. I think they, I think the stats show that he was, I think he was at the end of the field in greens in reg in the third round. So the signs were there that he was struggling. The first couple of rounds, he was unbelievable, his ball striking, but it, the ball striking definitely left, left him round four, end of round three. He was hitting a lot of pulls. Mm-hmm. And just those critical moments where he just couldn't make those putts early in the round, like every, everything was just missing. You could you could see the sort of ebb and flow, and he, he looked like, yeah, he just wasn't going to get it done. Did you see his drive off the first on Sunday? Yeah. Oh, his final. <laughs> Did yeah. you see how far? That was a three-wood. Yeah, he hit out of the toe. That must have gone 45, 50 metres left. It was yeah. on the middle of the other fairway. Yeah, because clearly you can't hit it right there. That's what they're trying to avoid. But he got that off the toe. And he ended up hitting a great second shot. Oh, he did. He sure did. But, I mean, that's got to it's got to spook him a bit, the fact that he's a left-to-right player. He aims down the left-hand side with a three-wood and hits it 60 yards left. I mean, he has to be thinking, now where do I aim for the rest of the round? And he had a couple of more pulls, didn't he? Yeah. Or, or, or hooks. They're not so much pulls, but hooks. Yeah, it was interesting when he was interviewed post-round. He, he, he seemed very positive, and he felt that he had a great shot into four, just got the wrong club, he felt he hit a great shot into six, hit it too far. He felt he hit a really good shot into 12, hit it too far. But the chips from the back of 12, the chip from the back of six, were very uncharacteristic for him. He's, he's one of the great chippers of the ball, and he really struggled with that part of the game. There was, there was certain components during that last round that, yeah, he just couldn't get it done. What about that 12th? Every time I see the 12th on TV, I haven't seen it in real life. You have. Yeah. How shallow is that thing? I mean, from front to back, is it like 20 feet or something, that green? It's really shallow, and it's a great design because for or for us being right-handers, little pull goes too far, mm. and little little block goes shorter, <laughs> and the green's angled that way. So so is it like a, a club and a half from the front left to the back yeah, right? It, yeah, it's a, it's, and it, I think what's happened, it's got a great mystique now that even the players are getting nervous walking onto mm, the tee. Mm. Like, everyone talks about it so much, and it's such a significant part of the round too in name and corner that yeah if they can get on that green they're pretty happy it is mm. so it's so wide it's only a nine iron or a wedge mm. the hole so it, it seems like a nothing hole even watching it live you, you think to yourself what's tough about this hole but it is the depth there's no depth in that green so mm. you've got to pick that number and those those little breezes you can look at the look at the wind on 11 and it doesn't react the same as you hit off 12 so yeah, it's it's. I'd lo- I'd love to have a shot there one day. Mm. 
I probably never will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ready for it. Yeah, I've got the little little. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably go a little eight iron, guys. Yeah. A little left to right eight iron. Tiger Woods never went for the flag there. He's he's been famously quoted as saying, "I never touch that flag. I just go between the two bunkers." So if it's short, it's bunker. If it's long, it's bunker. Either way, I can get that up and down. Yeah, Ram said that. Ram said that that was one of the things he got from Tiger in a practice round that he just aimed it over that bunker. Mm, mm. Didn't even look at the pin. So that was pretty much job done. Two putt, get out of there. Then he hit an amazing drive down thirteen. Mm, mm. You can see you can see that there's times in the round that he won that golf tournament. Like clearly, you know, at the end they putt in, they win the golf tournament. But he. He hit some clutch shots at clutch times that showed his quality. Phil Mickelson. Incredible. What is that? Where does that come? Does he just like parachute in from from an aeroplane at, at some point and just think, oh, I'm going to probably go okay this week? But he, because he hasn't, he hasn't played well for a year. And when he won the PGA in 21, his, his performances leading up to that win were disgraceful. I mean, he just hadn't been seen on anywhere near the leaders' board for at least twelve months. Rolls up, Masters. Why not? Why I, think, not I, I think I can win this. I How think do the, you think that? I, that? Yeah, I think the golf course is such a knowledge course management golf course. You can see the players that even a guy like Freddie Couples still plays all around there. Mm. If you know where to hit it, know where to miss it, get the best access. But Phil clearly won there before. He's Still got the length, even though he's fifty-two. He's still got still got enough length, and as long as he was putting well, but that showed his quality just in his career. How how he's really one of the Hall of Fame great yeah, players, Phil yeah, Mickelson. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about it. So that it was surprising, as you said, coming into it. He has no showed no form coming into it, but that place when he drives down Magnolia Lane, something he grows mm. another leg. The PGA. Can he win the PGA? Can he feature? Can he play as well at the PGA or, or the US Open or the British Open for that? Well, he'll, he'll he'll have a lot of confidence, and that's that's huge. Just with the course setups for him, mm. you know, that's the that's the thing. The the Masters Augusta, the course setup is perfect for him. Mm. Mm. Him and Bubba Watson, two long left handers fading very, the ball around those very artistic looks. players, left handers around there. We thought I, I remember Adam Scott said to Maddie and I years ago. He said Bubba should win this. Every second year. Mm, mm. Like when Bubba was at his prime, he said he should win this every second year. He won it, so he, he got it done. Mm. He's in bad form, isn't he? Well, he's coming back off that knee surgery and no golf for probably 12 yeah, months. Yeah, okay, okay. But again, he's so good. He's the sort of guy that could go to Adelaide and win. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're really, really great players. Even though they're, they're not at their very best anymore, they're still great golfers. If they get a sniff... They don't back down. Mm. That's the biggest difference with those guys. Adelaide guys, yeah, we just touched on it then with that last uh, that last point. Um, Live Golf's coming to Adelaide, the best field we've had in Australia. I'm trying to think of when we could have had a field anything like this. I'm not sure I can. I think it was post post sort of President's Cup at the Lakes. I'm not sure of the mm. year. It might have been 2010, 2012. We had, we had the President's Cup team playing at the Lakes. So I think we had the top 12 of... 20 players in the world yep. at that time yep. at the Lakes. Tiger played. That was obviously a stunning field. But this this one is in the group of 48. That's probably the best one we've had. You've been to a lot of these events, guys. You've done a lot of living, haven't you? Mm. You've been a liver. Literally. <laughs> How was your liver? <laughs> um, better than yours. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I would say too, yeah. What are we ready for, guys, this week? What's your take on it? What are you? How can you prepare us for what's coming? Look, I say to everybody, they're a lot better than what's publicised. The, the events are really well organised. It's The feel is a great feel and field, but the tournament has a great atmosphere. How's it different, the, the atmosphere? It's probably a little bit. Like, we've got that party hole coming up. I think it, I think it might be the 12th hole this week at the Grange. And you've got – it's it's more of a relaxed – there's a lot more music. It's not crazy – Overloaded with music, mm, mm. but there's more of a concert type vibe. So when the, when all the players come onto the range, and there's 48 of them all warming up before going out, and the music's on, it's it really gets everyone's arousal level high. Mm. It's it's like sort of going into a boxing match. <laughs> so everyone's getting really excited, and just the just the 10 second countdown before the first tee shot. So it it, it does provide a different feel, and for the spectator, for the crowd. 
for the patrons, as we say, at Augusta, <laughs> or the spectators in Australia. Let's call them fans, can we? <laughs> Bloody patrons. Yeah, yeah. So, so that they they will really enjoy it. So the just the general general community and the feel of that that tournament, I think, will be really embraced. And mm. you know, credit to the South Australian government, credit to you know, Liv Norman, the players. Uh, we're going to get something pretty special. We just um, just talking about patrons there, guys, and I and I just went back to the Masters just for a brief second. I've been talking on radio a lot about the Masters and my opinion on um, the the tournament, the way it's run. I think needs to be addressed, um, and it needs to be addressed very soon for the tournament to remain relevant. Now, by that I mean eighty eight players, um, ten of which are older than you and I put together. Um, Another half a dozen or eight or ten amateurs, which you know, all good to, to to have that. But when there's only eighty eight in the field, how many players are missing out? Should there be a field as the other three majors have one hundred and fifty six, nearly double? Um, should there be a qualifying way of getting into one, a way of getting into this tournament through qualifying, like the the Open, the, all the other three have? I've said for years to think that to think that look, and obviously I'm. I'm, I'm a little biased here, but to think a guy like Matt Jones, who's been a top 50 player in the world, he's won a couple of Australian Opens, he's won in the US twice, he's played two Masters. Wow, a, is that a, all? Yeah, in a career from probably 2005 to 2023, he's played two. I find that crazy, mm, really. Mm. So I agree with you. There's definitely got to, that field size has to increase. And I you know, I give them credit for. I think Bobby Jones's wish for was for, to give amateurs yeah, uh, yep, a run. Yep. But even even Frank Noblo made a good point during the telecast that John Rahm was number one in the world amateur at a time for fifty weeks in a row, and he never got to play the Masters an amateur. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So so you've got to win the US amateur. The Midwestern, the, South, Mid, Northern, Western, Eastern. Yeah, um, the Mid Amateur, which is I the think one 30, that's over there. The other Amateur tournament that's over there. You know, yeah, the, I think the Asian, the Asian Amateur, the British Amateur. I'm not sure what. I think that's about. Well, it. that's that's a redeeming feature for me. Yeah. The British Amateur and the, and, the, and the South South Pacific, Asia Pacific. Sorry, yeah. the Asia Pacific Amateurs all get get a start. And but, the US uh, Mid Amateur Champion gets yeah, a start. What's that? That's the 30, 35 and over, I think, is the mid-amateur or something like that. The NCA are going to get a start next year, the NCA, NCAA, is it? Yeah, so I think the, the, colli- co- the, co- think the, colli- the leading collegiate player will yeah, get now a if start. Yeah, now if the current... And if you win in America, guys, you're straight in, bang. How does... Wow. It's, it's, a, it's a world major. It's not an American... You know, it's, it's, it's gone beyond... They've even dropped American off, off the front of it. So it's not the, the US Masters or the American Masters. It's the Masters. So mm. it's, it's a... One of the top four tournaments in the world. It's a Grand Slam. It's it's going to be the the winners are going to be you know hi- historical. Yeah, they're making history. I just don't get that a, a private golf club can invite people to a major. I don't quite. It just it 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 boggles my mind. I can't get my head around that. Yeah, they've definitely got to increase the field size. There's no doubt about it. When you look at tennis guys, I mean, there's four majors in tennis. It's exactly the same qualifying for all four. Same system. Mm. It's a world game. Four yep. majors. Well, that's your spit. That could be my spit. I've come up. I've, I've spat a bit early. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, I couldn't. How many times is Brooks Kepke going to spit on a, on, a, on a golf course? I mean, how many times is that going to continue to happen? God, this is something I keep bringing up, but I loathe it. It's sacred ground, Augusta. We know, look, we've just talked about the, the ridiculous qualifications for it or non-qualifications for it. You don't go to St Andrews and spit all over it, do you? You go to the SCG and spit all over the wicket? I mean... What? What? <laughs> what is it? Wimbledon, Santa Court, spit. Yeah, I think the um, it's, it's got to stop, guys. Yeah. I think it's I think it's just that baseball culture, the chewing tobacco, and uh, I think that's that's I think yeah. that's where it comes from. Yeah, I know where it comes from. I know you, it upsets stop. you. It yeah, upsets it you, guys. We're going to have a little break now, just for a second, and then we're going to come back with a review of the new Cleveland wedges. Awesome. Now the backspin product review, guys. Product review for the show. As I mentioned earlier in the intro, the RTX six wedge from Cleveland has just been released. They're claiming that it has grooves that disperse water from the face, from between the ball and the club. I have tried to research how the groups have done that, and uh, 
it's just too complicated for me to try and even you know, try and even explain it. But it does work. I have tried it. It definitely does work. The ball does spin nearly just as much, I would say, when there's water between the, the face and the ball. When I tried this wedge, I always go back to that wedge review I did two or three years ago on the podcast where I put some stuff on the face of my wedge. Vaseline. No, not Vaseline. <laughs> no, don't be silly. I put some tape on the front so I could see what part of the club I was hitting the shots out of, you know, the, the, the old face yep. tape when you're having a club fit. And it was horrific how bad I was hitting the parts of the face. I was heel everywhere. Oh, I, I definitely avoid the heel. I can avoid the heel if I really have to, mm. and, I, and I have to, so I do. But out towards the toe, high up in the face, low on, on the toe, it was, it was disgraceful. I, I was stunned how bad I was at that, and I'm supposed to be a pro, and this was a few years ago and when then, I was playing then, a little then, bit then, more. And then you had someone booked in for a chipping lesson straight yeah, after that. so I cancelled, and we, we went to the bar and had a couple of beers <laughs> instead, and a nice lunch. When I do a, a wedge review, I now have a better understanding. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing with my son, Liam, at the Lakes. We just had a hit, which I haven't done for a long time, and, and I hit this, I, I missed the 18th green at the Lakes, the par three. Hit a terrible shot to the left, and I was chipping plenty of green into the wind. Was was the, you know one of the easiest chip shots you could see, and I hit it and flubbed it and sort of went you know about fifteen feet short. And I looked at the face, and half the ball mark was missing the grooves. And I thought, oh, I've just played eighteen holes, and I haven't. That's the worst shot I had hit yeah, in yeah. terms of the middle of the face and the ball. Uh, and I'd hit you know like four irons. Why is that, guys? Well, you'd be chipping with your hands and your eyes. So you're sort of looking at the ball and you're just trying to direct your hands and the club to the ball. But you look at all the guys on tour and they're all using their body. And obviously that statement, people can think, well, what, what does that mean, using the body? Mm. But ult- ultimately... It's talked you, about a lot now, isn't it? Yeah, ultimately, it's like the golf shot. You, you would... you would pretty much hit an 8-iron out of the middle all the time, I reckon I'd get close, yeah. Yeah, because obviously it's a longer swing, and then you've got the time allowance for your weight shift, shoulders turn, body rotation, and the club and the arms will be entering that impact zone on the Mm. back back of all that. But when you've got a short shot where it's not going very far, it's amazing how people don't really participate with their body at all. Mm. They Mm. don't have that nice little weight shift. They don't let the arms follow the weight shift, then the club follow, and then the club will hit the ball right in the, or the ball will hit the club right in the middle every yeah, time. Yeah, okay. So I, I would say, yeah, that little short shot that you've got there, the lakes, you're still poking at it with your hands. Oh, it's definitely a yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was it, poking at it with your hands. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like, a, that's, that's, that's taken that's what, how many years of coaching that's to death. come up with that term. That's, that's death. Poking at it with your hands. Yeah. You're poking at it with your hands. Yeah. Anyway, all that aside, guys, I did try the RTX 6 wedge, and I did find it was it was more forgiving. Even it, look, there's there's it's a blade wedge, and and there is a it, it's become now almost part of the norm in wedge design, where they're all offering a lot of the manufacturers. You talking about a, you made a sixty, like a six. It was a, a sixty that I was yeah. I was trying. So yeah. it's not a wedge wedge. It's a like a sixty, which is another point, isn't it? Because um, I think when I'm hitting like a seventy yard gap wedge or something, I will, I will get it out of the yeah, center. You're fine, yeah, yeah, because you it's that longer shot, so you're integrating more of like the mini golf swing movements in it. That's the most difficult thing with that little chip. Is it? You don't have that time allowance to create those dynamics, but that's why you need to set up better. You need to have your weight set up better. Mm. You need to be integrated more, more connected with your upper arms and your chest. Yeah, so it's never, a- never been a good integrator. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, the, the zip core in the RTX wedge, the Cleveland RTX, the, the zip core is moving weight around the face to look after the fact that I'm hitting the ball out of the toe and high a lot in, in the toe. It's moved to places where your players are do miss hit. So they've done a lot of research on where players are more are, are, are more prone to miss hitting, and it seems to be in the toe, high in the toe. I think we're all trying to avoid the nasty heel area of the club, mm, guys, mm. which gives you the old Hillary swank, mm. Sherman tank. So um, they, they looked at, they have looked after that with this wedge. It, when you put it down, it doesn't look any different to, to the Cleveland wedges over the years. It looks exactly the same, but the, the research has been done in the back of the golf club um, there's also a CBX wedge that Cleveland make, which is a pure cavity wedge, much bigger cavity, all hollowed out in the back. So if you want to go down the path, you can. This particular wedge I found was was a beautiful club. It, w- it was wonderful, and I could spin it when it was wet, which is interesting. I, I hadn't really ever thought of that too much. I must have made instinctive adjustments when, when you and I were playing the tour. We must have made those adjustments and realised that when you hit a 60-degree wedge, for example, um, the ball 
It just pops off. It, it just it slides up the face. Yeah. It doesn't grip. Yeah. So it goes high and pops and then releases and runs. And Yeah, I suppose you make those adjustments. You, yeah. just, you just... But if they, I'd be interested to try this club. What they've done with the grooves, yeah. obviously it's got to be within those legal parameters, but yep. they've they've figured out something with their R&D to disperse the water. And they've worked it out. It, it's, it's a gradual. It graduates from like a 48 degree wedge. It's not quite mm. as aggressive, the grooves, and the texture of the face overall, and not only the grooves, but the texture that they put on, the, the, the milling. When you get to the 60, it's quite aggressive because the ball, as we just said, it, it grips the face less because the angle is greater. Mm. It tends to slide more, and if there's water on the face, it just slides straight up. So they've done a lot of work. They've done a lot of research on that. It definitely spins way more, and I hadn't really thought about it before until I tried and realised, yes, this is. The other thing I'd noticed, guys, they have a full face wedge where the grooves are entirely cover the entire face. Yeah, which no I, th- toe I, think, and I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I do too. And, yeah. I, and I look at them and I think that looks disgraceful because I'm an old bastard and I, I'm used to looking at a really nice looking wedge. I'm, if a wedge didn't look nice, I mean, you and I are the same. When we were playing, if a wedge didn't look nice, you'd, you'd throw it away. Your wedge had to look good. Your driver had to look great. You know, mm. your wooden driver had to have the, right, you know, the screws in the right place and the lines right. Now we don't care. And, and that's, that's, that's a good thing. We shouldn't care if there's lines all over the face or the, we're now using a driver that's 460. I know, CCs, like, like so. Matt, Matt, uh, Matt's an amazing chipper of the ball. He is a beautiful chipper, isn't he? And one of the shots he likes to play, if the lie's a bit dodgy, the ball's sitting down a bit, he, he likes to hit off the toe yeah, on purpose. Yeah. And obviously he gets the shaft a little bit higher. That little shot off the toe, you can carry a bit more speed into it. It comes off a little deader. Mm. If you do happen to hit the ground behind the ball, because the toe is entering the ground, it'll, it'll, it'll tend to open up mm, mm. through the ball. So- You've got those advantages, but with a full face wedge. Yeah, Matt and I talked about that. Is Matt is Matt going to get a full face wedge? Well, we t- no, we talked about that uh, to Aaron Dill, who's the Vokey wedge rep on tour. He's the guy that mm. fits all these guys for wedges, reshapes their wedges. He's a very very smart guy. We Matt was Matt and I were at Tory Pines in about '09, and we were chipping off dewy ground. It was early in the morning on the west coast of America. And Aaron was there with us, and we talked about they should, Vokey should bring out a club that has the grooves all the way across. Mm, mm. And then, in I think it was a couple of years later that it might have been Callaway actually did it. I think Mickelson oh, was involved. Oh, this is before with, they were they were available. Oh no, before they, they were made. Yeah, but they actually they did they did put them. They're in production now, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were the first, I believe Callaway yeah, were the first two. Yeah, with, with and like, I, the I, I think that's a great idea myself. Yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely would explore it if uh, for the listeners. Um, if you if you're um, chipping anywhere near as badly as I am, um, the full face wedge, which means the grooves go right across the face. There's no toe area that isn't grooved that goes right across. So if you can hit it out of the toe, if you're intending to, like Matt Jones does, or if you're just not intending to but do it anyway, like yeah. like Larry Canning, then the full face wedge is the way to go for me. So that's the RTX. Cleveland Wedge goes available at all retail outlets, including Mount Broughton, just by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll come back with a tip. Hungry for a tasty tip? Here it is. Gary, fairway bunkers. I mm. hate them. Do you hate them? You probably don't. don't. You can no, probably get out of them quite well. No, I just I just think that, you know, the technique, they're actually not as daunting as what they appear. I remember playing, I accidentally qualified for the Australian PGA well after I'd finished playing. And we were playing at Royal Queensland. And I was on the practice fairway and Craig Parry, I know we talked about this off air, Craig Parry was practicing out of a, out of a bunker near the green but hitting fairway bunker shots. Because at that point, at that tournament, Royal Queensland had just been redesigned. It's since been completely changed. And they'd introduced all these fairway bunkers. They were everywhere. And he'd realised that he was going to be in some, so I saw him just practising. He, he must have been there for 20 minutes, hitting fairway bunker shots with eight irons and as longer iron as he could. He hit the lip a couple of times just trying to experiment, which is, uh, you know, that's why Craig Parry is a very successful player. He has the, the golfing brain to realise that he's going to be in some of these fairway bunkers. It was impressive just that alone, but his strike on the ball seemed to be okay. But, it, it, you know, I think it, it was definitely not his strength of his game. Like Paz, I think that was at a time when a lot of these redesigns they're putting in those fairway bunkers right at a place where Paz just wasn't, he was never a long hitter. Mm. You know, I remember he spoke to me many years ago about, I think it might have been Par Meadows, and he was saying how the, the design of that golf course, if you, if you could fly it another 20 yards, 
they wouldn't have been played. Yeah, but for him, yeah, yeah. he had to slot it down the middle. So for him, I presume when you were seeing him that week, they were right in his driving zone. Mm, mm. But even 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 Paz, who twenty winner twenty three times around the world, one of the one of our great great Australian players, he was at the Aussie probably right about the time when he was just starting the Champions Tour and he was out practicing fairway bunkers. And I always chat to Paz and he said to me at that time that in his whole career he'd, he'd struggled with yeah, fairway bunkers. Interesting. And when I, when I spoke to him, what was interesting talking to him, he, he was trying to sweep the ball mm. off the top of the sand. And I said to Paz, I said, Paz, can't play fairway bunkers like that. Because obviously the trying to sweep the ball and trying to come in on the level of the sand and catch the ball, there's a very small window of either not catching the sand or hitting too high up on the ball. Yep. And during my normal week of work at the Aussie giving golf lessons, I definitely have four or five people book in specifically to get out of the fairway bunkers. And generally when I ask them what they're trying to do, they'll say, I'm trying to sweep the ball. And it is normal to think that because you've got the lip in front of you, mm. you want to get the ball up, you don't want to catch the sand, so you, you're you thinking, I've got to just hit this ball dead clean off the top, but that is pretty much impossible. Yep. And after I explained to them that fundamentally it's a it's a normal golf shot, a normal shot off the grass, you want to hit the ball first. You don't want to hit the ground first. You want to hit the ball first, the ground second. And the angle of attack to be able to hit the ball, say with a six iron, anywhere between four and six down on the ball – you're hitting the ball down. Now, that is confusing for a, a punter because they're thinking, if I'm hitting down on the ball, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, not going to get it up over this lip. <laughs> exactly. And then once you start helping them understand that and helping them understand it is it like a normal golf shot and you are hitting down on the ball, then the ball climbs up the face, hits the sand second, and they're quite stunned mm, mm. how high the ball comes out. Obviously, Matt and I, a lot of my philosophy, many, many pros I teach, we, we actually hit balls out of a fairway bunker yeah, no, for yeah. the normal game because it, it's very exacting on your ball ground contact. And the other benefit of being in the sand is that that instability of the feet in the sand, when your swing is out of balance, your feet will slip a lot more than it would on the grass. So you're getting two benefits. You're not, you're not only getting the exactness of that ball ground contact, you're also internally feeling the the measures of all those things that come together in a golf swing, the rotation, the the linear movement, the all these all these special words like angular movement down on the ball. You're getting feedback of the sand through your feet of your imbalances. So I I suggest for anybody, even for their normal game, to practice out of the fairway bunker. And I think you'll get a lot of benefit. And just hit it, just like it would be sitting on the grass. And then once you go and hit balls off the grass after doing that, it is so easy compared to normal. So that's a mm -hmm. that's a good one. And I guess make sure you've got enough loft to get it over that lip, so you can hit down and the and the, and the loft is the appropriate amount to get it over the lip. Don't try and hit too strong a face. Don't don't try and hit a four iron when you should be hitting a six or a seven iron. Yeah, that that. That's probably less likely if you're a club level player. They'll normally err on the on the side that's a little too like if a, if a, if a if some if a pro would hit a seven iron and clear the lip easily. You know, I normally an amateur will probably get a nine iron anyway. Yeah, okay, but okay. the pros the pros problem is they'll get a lot. They'll get very confident mm. and they'll think they can get it over there and they'll catch that just that top edge of it. But generally, that's practice getting a getting some insights in how your ball's coming out with your swing. Just in closing, guys, towards the end of our show now, we did talk briefly about Grace Kim earlier in the intro. Grace Kim has just won in the US, uh, in Hawaii, LPGA, her third event. She has played a couple of events when she didn't have a full card. So it's I think it's like six or seven she's actually played. But this is since she became a full-time LPGA Tour player. That's her third event and she won. Her rise has been measured, I, I would say, to this point. She's through, definitely through been. Golf, she's been trending. She's been trending. Like she but, but nearly that, won the Australian Open. That's a vertical trend, isn't it? I mean, that's. I mean, she's looking great. We all know how good she is, and she's a fantastic kid. But the third tournament, and she wins on that tour. It took her two years to get on the tour. Yeah, look, she, was, to she was a stellar amateur. 
she was like blue chip stock. If you yeah, if you yeah. look at if you look at her coming through, I, I know Khan Pullen. We know Khan Pullen very well. He's coached Grace all the way through for many years. Must be five six years at least, and she's always had the game. She's struggled finishing off tournaments. Yep. She's got everything, and she's a lovely girl. She's a quality person. and But as you said, to win on the LPGA Tour so quickly, it's pretty impressive. It's great. It's fantastic. Mm. And, a, and another Australian and we, superstar. You know, we've got to get her on the show. Oh, I want to get her on the show. I tried. Yeah. I tried, but um, she um, didn't answer my email, so I'm a little bit emotional about that. We've got, we got, we got to get her on the next show. Surely there's no one else wanting to interview her. Surely the day after she's just won on the LPGA Tour. The way she played that last, I'd say, six or seven holes, Gary, knowing the importance, the significance of what she was about to achieve, what she could achieve, how she never went away. She was a two shots behind right up until the last couple of holes. But the putts that she made, the bunker shots that she played, the drives that she was hitting when there was water right and bunkers and stuff left, it was like she'd been there for years. She is a, a very strong... She doesn't appear to be mentally... You know, like ruthlessly strong. She's just a really nice kid, but clearly she is. She is a very strong-willed person, particularly a putting, Gary. I was watching those like six, eight-foot putts she made. She must have made four or five of them coming down the street. Which is what you've got to do to win. But they were just, they were perfectly hit, beautiful strokes, straight in the heart of the hole. They weren't mm. just, it was like Cam Smith. Yeah. Who is as mentally as strong as anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, he's amazing. I reckon Grace Kim's in that same class, that mental strength. Hannah Green, mentally so Ruthless, and that—that's a life change. Yeah, at the point at the pointy end of a tournament, to have the have the soundness of mind to be able to do that—that that shows what's inside you, mm. and that's the difference at, at that level. So she's obviously got it. Looking forward to her having a great career, mm. majors winning, coming winning, up, winning majors. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to it, Gary. That's our show. Thanks for being part of it again, Andy. Thank you for producing it, and, and please do a really good job of producing it, won't you, this this week? Because there's some. <laughs> Maybe a couple of lairers that might have just sucked through there, but Andy, the editor, we're calling. And thank you, listeners, for listening, and we'll be back with another show very soon. <laughs>